Welcome to another episode of Saltgrass, a show about salt-of-the-earth people involved in grassroots movements that are addressing the climate crisis. We've had a massive amount of rain in the last 24 hours, and maybe you can hear it in the background as I'm speaking now. I was outside this morning recording the sound of the downpour. It's such a wonderful sound. As I record this episode, it is midsummer in Australia, and Jara country is a dry, dusty place around now. But not today. In today's episode, we're talking with Anton Wikström, co-founder of The Good Car Company. These guys are helping the electric car, or EV, transition happen in Australia by facilitating bulk buy purchases of second-hand vehicles from Japan. Sometimes I look at cars in my town and feel a kind of despair that the transition to EVs is not happening fast enough around the world, but especially here in Australia. According to a recent Guardian article, Australia trails nearly all comparable countries on EV uptake. Only 0.6% of new cars sold are electric, compared with about 5% or 8% in other markets. And in Norway, about 60% of new cars sold are electric. Norway has offered huge incentives to consumers via waiving import tax and toll fees on EVs, amongst many other things, which accounts for their extremely high uptake. And I've got an article in the links at the podcast description at saltgrasspodcast.com for this episode where you can read the story about how a local pop band helped helped create the EV movement in Norway, which is quite a funny story because they broke quite a few laws and got lots of fines. In the meantime, which they refuse to pay, which is is all part of it. So go check that out. It's quite great. The band is AHA. Meanwhile, countries like Britain and Japan have announced that they will ban the sale of new fossil fuel cars in 2030 or 2035. So in the next 10 years or so, which is a really great step forward as well. That still means that there will be fossil fuel consuming cars for the next 20 to 30 years, I guess. But to ban them is a great step. I would have an electric vehicle in a heartbeat, but new EVs are way out of my price range and secondhand ones are a risk. You never know how old the battery is or how well the car's been treated. So what do these guys at the Good Car Company do to make secondhand EVs accessible and attractive to Australian drivers? And what are some of the unexpected benefits of having an electric vehicle? But first, Saltgrass is produced in Castlemaine on Jara country, home of the Jajarung people. I pay respects to elders past, present and emerging, and hope that one day we can take care of the land as well as they have done for millennia. Salt of the earth people. Grassroots change. Saltgrass. Listen to all episodes of Turning the Goldfields Green on saltgrass.podbean.com. What is the Good Car Company and what made you and your colleagues want to start it? Okay, so the Good Car Company exists to decarbonise transport and we're trying to do that by making electrical vehicles affordable. And we started this business a couple of years ago because we're in the middle of a climate crisis. And we've got about a decade to halve emissions in Australia. And renewables and electric vehicles are two bits of tech that can sit there and do 
pretty much that entire heavy lifting if we choose to adopt them at scale. And we looked at the research out there and it went that it was basically about half of people who want an electric car didn't want to spend more than $30,000 and there's no cars remotely near that price point. So Hepburn Shire, part of their ZNet or zero net emissions goal for the next 10 years is to obviously reduce emissions. And and as you said, one of the best ways to do that is to get as many cars or vehicles off the fossil fuel of petroleum and make them electric. So they have got you guys in to help speed that process up via a bulk buy. So what sort of process do you go through when you're trying to convince people that buying a secondhand electric car is a good idea because, I mean, as we know, even with phones and computers, within a couple of years, you really don't want the model that's two years old because the technology's improved so much. <laughs> is that a hard sell or are there people keen? There are people keen. I think it's about talking to the right people and being genuine and it's about providing the information warts and all. So there's some great things about the electric vehicles we've got. There's some not so great things about them and people deserve to know that before they actually do the purchase so we try and be very honest about it so give it give the information across warts and all and there's plenty of people who are right at the moment going well what can i do and it's pretty much it's all all hands on deck at the moment with with climate change and it's waiting another decade for it it's probably not going to work so well so as purveyors of of vehicles the best vehicle you can have is none at all so if you can work out how to how to walk or ride or do do your journeys like that at much lower emissions and if you are jumping into a car it's how can you share one how can you use public transport or how can you do it as zero emissions so there's there's a few different ways to kind of get a, a a low carbon transport approach yeah yeah, so I guess people who are really feeling like electric cars, they need to have a car for a start and then they are really wanting to make a difference to their own personal carbon footprint. They would seriously look at a secondhand car if that helps them afford it. Mm-hmm. Indeed, and there's a bit of a, a trade-off. An electric car that's not actually doing many kilometres isn't that good for the environment because there's a lot of embodied energy in the vehicle one that's doing a lot of kilometres is is being incredible. From our figures, it takes about two or three years for an electric vehicle to pay off its carbon debt from its manufacturer. So the first few years, it's worse than the petrol car. And then after that, it starts being having its kind of carbon dividend, so to speak. Mm. So by the time people are buying, well, you are buying these cars secondhand, have they mostly paid off their carbon debt already? Yeah, yeah. Most of them have. Some of them are fairly new and haven't done many kilometres. So it's kind of better from an actual purchasing a second-hand car perspective. But from that carbon perspective, you'll have to do the work on paying down that carbon from manufacture. Yep. And so where are you getting the cars from? So we're sourcing most of our vehicles from Japan, which has got a crazy taxation system which makes old vehicles incredibly expensive to keep on the road as a result of that they have a lot of cars being sold secondhand and out of the country and they also have five large auto manufacturing companies 
within Japan and we have none. So keeps the business <laughs> rolling, doesn't oh, it? It's a, yeah, it's an industry support approach and it's worked for Japan um, manufacturing, but it's there's quite horrendous depreciation on a car in Japan as well. We also bring them over from the UK, so we're just starting off that, which has got a different set of models that are available. So as we go, we'll be trying to get different types of cars on the road as well. And so you, you go to an auction and just buy a bunch at a time. Is that how it works? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's the long and short of it, yeah. That, that, that's the short. That's the short version of yeah. it. We tend to we, we do purchase vehicles at auction. We do mechanical and electrical, and in particular battery checks beforehand, and then we 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 bid on them, purchase them, arrange them to get sent over here via a ship and comply to Australian roads and getting charges and language conversions and all the bits and bobs. So it's kind of an all wrapped up service so it's kind of like tracking a parcel from the other side of the planet but parcels a car so how do you get reports on the individual cars if there's multiple cars you may or may not bid on you can't possibly check them all or do you we use agents to do that for us so yeah they they do check them all and because there's so many vehicles that are being auctioned in japan there's a really well-developed industry that supports it and a uniform reporting criteria on on the condition of vehicles as well. Right. And are electric vehicles popular in Japan? So we're mainly bringing over a type of vehicle called a Nissan Leaf. That's the majority of the vehicles we bring, and there was 100,000 of them sold in Japan in total. So it's, it's currently about, I think it was about twenty or 30,000 last year. Right. They've been going for a while, though, the Nissan Leaf, haven't they? They've been going since 2011, I think, so a lot more than here. Still not stupendous amounts, but what there is the difference if people have travelled and been to Japan or been to Norway or California, electric vehicles are not uncommon. And part of what a bulk buy does and, and kind of the reason we're choosing this approach is If you put 10 cars or 20 or 50 into one town, it does actually make a difference. And it's that mental change of the people in that community that makes it so that their friend's next car is electric, their workmate's next car is electric, that the it's demystified the whole the whole lot. And And normalizes it. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's really powerful, I think. And I guess it also forces infrastructure upgrades. If there's enough people saying, we need a charging station, then, you know, that sort of thing also starts to happen, which then encourages more people to get a car like that. Yeah, well, that helps force it. And it's also where helping pay for some charging infrastructure as well. So in, in the bulk buy, we're putting $500 for each car we sell into charging. And that's being matched by Hepburn Wind and Hepburn Shire Council as well. So each car puts $1,500 worth of charging infrastructure in place, which is pretty special and I'm pretty happy that we can do that. Yeah, that's amazing actually. Such a sign of goodwill between all the players as well, you know, like such good mm. relationships being formed there. I think that's testament to Hepburn Wynn's relationship in the, in, the, in the community, which is pretty pretty epic. The work they've done on building community and resilience 
is yeah, is, is is phenomenal. Yeah, they are quite a shining light, aren't they? <laughs> so back to the nitty gritty of of the cars. I know that a lot of people worry about the life of the battery in cars and things like that. So that's part of your diagnostics. How does a battery age? Is it likely that people will have to replace them if they're buying a second-hand car? Yeah. So at some point they will have to replace the battery or the car will gradually go less far. Sure. <laughs> so the, the, the long-term average is around 3% degradation per year in the vehicles we've got. Some EVs are higher than that. Some EVs are lower than that. And there's a few different things you can do as, a, as an owner of an electric car to prolong the life of your battery. But as time goes and the more times it's charged and discharged, yeah, grad, gradually it'll degrade. And, and it's possible to change out the batteries for other ones in, in the future as well. Mm. Is that very costly though? Yes. It is. Don't put your punches. So we're we're looking at around $12,000 for a battery replacement at the moment, and we expect that to come down over time. Yeah, and we expect that point to be at around 150,000 kilometres or somewhere around there, depending on the model. What's really nice from a circular economy story is the batteries that come out of the old electric cars have another life left in them. So they can become stationary storage like a Tesla Powerwall or so on. All the cells can be rebuilt into, into stationary storage. And there's a company in Melbourne who's specialising in that technology. They've built all the circuitry and control systems to do that. They're exporting their tech to Europe at the moment to do that. And they're called Relectrify. Relectrify, I like it. That's that's actually really good to know because a lot of people worry. I mean, batteries these days are pretty recyclable, but they historically they've had a bad rep as being very toxic if going to landfill and oh, you know all of that stuff. There's been some cadmium, like a he- like a serious heavy metal has been in in most ba- rechargeable batteries. Twenty years ago, that was kind of the, the best tech we had, and that stuff will poison your soil forever lithium's relatively benign comparatively and the next end of life stories we're at about 98 percent recovery of materials in the batteries after that that's Um, amazing 98 percent yep that's really good yeah well there's still two percent to go so (laughs) (laughs) definitely we need to be thinking long term about how we can get this to much lower levels of waste as well. So it's by no means the perfect solution, but it's the best we can put our hands on at the moment. In terms of waste when it comes to vehicles in their entirety, I keep on hearing rumours or ideas that cars should be made of components that can be replaced indefinitely. Do you know if there are any car manufacturers looking at that? Hmm. Yeah, I haven't heard of uh, that one about replaced indefinitely. I think what is generally the case is because technology tends to move rather rapidly with vehicles, that there does become serious efficiency cases to take the vehicle off the road after a certain amount of years. 
So the case is going to be you can keep your 67 Chevy with 30 litres per 100 kilometres on the road forever by replacing parts because it's not very hard to replace parts, but it is emitting way more carbon than is required to move somebody. So in that case, it's not actually a good case to keep that car on the road. You're better off melting it down and making frying pans out of it. Yeah. So Castlemaine's known as the hot rod capital of Australia. Oh, God, I'll take that away. <laughs> I think you should retract your statement <laughs> and um, maybe <laughs> just suggest that people should polish them and take them for a Sunday drive one to six times a year and keep them in the garage nice and tidy. Yeah, okay, that's, yeah. God, you can't <laughs> say that's the hot rod capital of Turn your Chevy into frying pans. I know. Right. It's all right. <laughs> Where do you live? You're in Tasmania. I think you're safe. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it's definitely the one, though, is a, a classic car that's not being driven very often. It's, it's not a dire scenario. One that's driving, you know, 40,000 kilometres a year is emitting. That's a carbon problem. Of carbon. Yeah, that's yeah. a carbon problem. Yeah. And like I said before, that uh, an electric vehicle that's not doing many kilometres isn't being very effective at reducing emissions. Sure. I tuned in to your information session for people who are interested in the Hepburn bulk buy. And at one point you were talking about, it may have been you or one of your colleagues, was talking about this idea of cars being bi-directional chargers or being able to plug into your house and assist your house with energy. What's that all about? What's that all about? It's pretty exciting. Is it's a concept called vehicle to home or vehicle to grid, and so each one of the cars we bring in is equivalent of two to six Tesla Powerwalls on wheels, and they are enabled to basically run your house or feed that energy in the battery back into the grid as well so they were designed like that in japan as part of the emergency response system in japan so you can basically bring cars together and have a mobile command center run off the cars instead of needing generators so that was a deliberate strategic decision in japan yep yep wow that's brilliant yep and there's a particular type of charging port that's on these vehicles which is enabled for that and that's pretty awesome so what we can do at the moment legally is run your house off your car and we're waiting for the regulators of the electricity market to change the rules so that we can feed that power back into the grid as well Hmm. so if you've got Sorry, I'm just imagining if you've got a massive solar array, you can power your house, charge your car, and then also feed what you don't use in your car back into the grid if you don't need it. Yeah. Yep. Or you could also imagine this world, which is pretty crazy. You you have solar on your roof at home, but you work somewhere else. You drive your car to work, but the work's got a big solar array. So you charge your car up off, off work's power. You bring it back home and you run your house of works power. Or in the case where you've got all those air cons on on that worst day in summer, that hottest afternoon in summer, everyone turns their air cons on and there's brownouts around the place. Everybody's cars can help support the grid. Right. So no brownouts. Yeah. Or 
much less chance of it. And that is distributed energy resource, which rather than electric vehicles, you know, being a problem for the grid, they can actually help support it. And I think especially in those sort of peak demand scenarios, really, really help out. Yeah, amazing. And I also, I mean, Australia being so prone to bushfires and other emergencies like that, when those events happen, it's quite common for all the power to go out and then you don't have pressure in your water. And unless you've got a generator, you won't have any capacity to shoot a hose up at the embers that are landing on your house. But if you've got a car still charging your house, you would still have power, your aircon can be on so you could at least be cool in those extreme conditions, but also potentially you might be able to have more of a chance to combat a dire bushfire situation. Yeah, that's a, <laughs> a very tricky little scenario you've painted. Yeah, <laughs> maybe that's not quite too too complicated. <laughs> yeah. With the vehicle to home and vehicle to grid, there's a special box that sits between the car and the house, which is called a bi-directional charger. There's a few companies in Australia which have got them available now. They're pretty expensive, and but expect those to be coming down in price as well, as there's more than a couple of manufacturers and more than a couple of people buying them. Yeah, well, lots of possibilities there. It just sort of seems to make sense, doesn't it, that your car would have that symbiotic relationship with your house and your everything else. Can I just touch on something which might yeah. work for the hot rodders? Yeah, sure. Um, <laughs> <laughs> which is, I'll just kind of give give the lay of the land, and it kind of comes down to that battery replacement story, is what's nice about the Nissan Leaf cars is we've got, is they're kind of made like an old-fashioned car. There's a bunch of bits that are bolted together, which is relatively serviceable, changeable, upgradable to an extent so they're a bit like an old car mechanically simple relatively mechanically simple whereas the tesla's uh total black box a pretty awesome black box but (laughs) you wouldn't be able to get in and you wouldn't know what to do if you got in yeah and the other one is is we've got i would love we've got these little electric bands which i'd love to get someone to do turn it into an electric ute for us i'd love an electric ute and i reckon castlemaine there's got to be someone in castlemaine who wants to do that oh there really would be yeah (laughs) so they're sort of like a minivan is that right yeah like a caddy in between they can carry a a bit of a pallet in the back we can have them in two seater five seater or seven seater vans but yeah it's got a two-metre tray at the back, so, yeah. Well, it's interesting, isn't it? Because all you'd need is someone with welding skills and, you know, a bit of know-how about... Oh, and it's... just to get it through engineering so that oh. it's all crash... Crash safe. Crash safe, whatever, whatever that Okay, so is. that's a whole yep. other level of, of know-how. Yeah, that's, that, that's where you need proper hot rodders who do work on cars and get them through whatever engineering they need. Yeah, right. Yeah, I don't know how to phrase this as a question, but and I don't want it to impede people from wanting to purchase a second-hand vehicle, but what are some of the ideas that might be possible in the future with the new tech that's coming with electric cars? It's really interesting to think now that over the next 20 years, every vehicle 
that you see will end up being zero emissions in that period. There might be a, a few classic cars or what have you still going. There might be a few land cruisers heading out into the Nullarbor or what have you. But 99% of the kilometres travelled are going to be in an electric vehicle, without, without a doubt. And that's going to be garbage trucks. It's going to be semi-trailers. It's going to be normal cars. It's going to be a bunch of small town vehicles, scooters, electric bikes, which are, which are going ballistic at the moment. So there's all these different little modes of transport are all going to be swapping out. And in most cases, they offer better kind of user experience or they're just more pleasant to use. So quiet, easier to start, easier to drive or ride or what have you. We're just chatting before. You said you, you wanted to go for a drive in a Tesla and it's like in a couple of years' time, a Tesla will turn into a driverless Uber. Driverless Uber. So you just dial up and a car would appear without anyone in it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. All the cars they're building at the moment can drive themselves. All, all, the, all the cars that Tesla are driving and building at the moment can drive themselves. The new Nissan Leafs can drive themselves. The new Volvos can. And they will turn a little switch on the internet. I don't know how they'll do that. I'm not that technical guy. But those vehicles will be able to operate as, as a taxi fleet or an Uber fleet. And that kind of changes... A whole bunch of things. Probably not so much in Castlemaine, but that definitely change our cities dramatically first. Expect in whether it's ten years time or five years time that car ownership in city in cities will drop. Because why would you bother owning a large depreciating asset when you can just call up a, a nice swanky car and it just comes and does the work for you? Yeah. When space is so scarce, why would you use some of it to store a car mm, and it may well be instead of parking once again city examples which are very different reality to living in the country is why would the car park in the city wouldn't it drive somewhere where real estate's cheap park there for the day and drive itself back in to pick you up at night yeah <laughs> that's great when i used to live in the city i would always ride my bike because it was faster and more enjoyable than public transport crowded public transport and it was impossible and way too expensive to try and park in the city and just so infuriating to try and drive in all that traffic so bike riding was really the best option but if you didn't have to pay for parking or you didn't have to deal with traffic you could just sit and read a book while the car got you there. That would be an entirely different experience. Indeed, indeed. Yep. So there's a, a few different companies uh, working for that sort of push. And at, at the moment, it's basically just sitting, waiting for regulatory approval somewhere in the world where they say, basically, they're trying to work out who they can sue if the car crashes. Are you going to sue Tesla, the software developer behind it, or the person who owns the car? Who can you hold liable? Yeah, and once they work that out, that whole reality will change. And it also raises a bunch of interesting equity issues, as it always does, between tech development and city-country applications. So rules being made for the city, which won't necessarily work so well for rural communities, which will be, if you're living 30 k's out of Castlemaine or what have you, on a, on a property, 
what's the chance of the driverless Uber coming and picking you up to go and do your grocery shopping? It's probably not going to happen. So Yes, I have had a ride in a Tesla all the way to Adelaide, in fact, and the driver was often letting the car self-navigate. He'd put it in auto mode. But he was he made the point that, A, the Tesla vehicles are still trying to figure out what the Australian road rules are and what all our markings mean because they're different markings on the road to the American ones and all our road signs are different and all of that. But also driving in the country, often there are no lines on the road or you're on a dirt road and there's zero lines or there's just that one line in the middle of the road. So it's a lot harder for the car to understand what's actually happening and in front of it. It'll probably get more sophisticated and figure that stuff out, but... It, it was really interesting what it could and couldn't comprehend. Each one of those cars that every person's driving is collecting all that data and sending it back to the computers in California to crunch to build the models. Yeah, and the analysis is basically saying there will be a few different platforms that develop autonomous driving, and it's a software platform. The actual car that sits underneath it doesn't actually matter. It's the the LIDAR and the control algorithm is the thing that holds that information together. And when you look at software platforms that are widespread, you've got an Android or an iPhone, (laughs) or you've got a PC and a Mac, maybe a Linux. Like there doesn't end up being a lot of players in that big software platform space. So there'll probably be a Tesla and a something else and maybe a something else. And that will be controlling a whole bunch of our transport, for better or worse. But it's a very interesting times, as they say. It really is. <laughs> We're not evolving as fast as the technology, which is why AI yeah. scares so many people. <laughs> oh, t- t- and rightly so. <laughs> yeah, because we are not evolving as fast as that stuff is. <laughs> yeah, 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 indeed. I could go on to that, but I'll, 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 I'll probably start sounding scary yeah (laughs) that's a topic for another episode i reckon (laughs) all right so back to the good car company how many bulk buys have you done around australia so far you've mostly been in tasmania so far haven't you yeah so we're a tasmanian based company moving on to the mainland at the moment so hepburn's our first on the mainland we've done three in tassie and coming up in the new year we're doing bulk buys in canberra sydney and geelong the next ones we're off to I guess it would vary from place to place. Have you had some good success in getting people to sign up and have a go? Pretty good. Our best one at the moment has been 30 vehicles. doesn't sound like a lot, but it's a lot when you put them into one little area. Yes, definitely. So when I go out oh, today, I saw two other electric cars that we brought in within two kilometres of, of my house, just driving around. So... Yeah, definitely changing the story. So we have aims to being around 30 to 50 cars a month is the position we want to be next year. And in context, that's probably sold as many cars as all the rest of the electric car dealerships in Tasmania in the same period. Yeah, Um, right. And that's in terms of, Yeah. yeah, so that's what the secondhand vehicle market is most people don't buy new cars and we're expecting a whole bunch of people to save up and spend ninety thousand dollars on a tesla or what have you when 
That is so far beyond most people's capacity. Oh, I, I haven't I haven't spent more than $10,000 on a car in my life. No, neither have I. I bought a $5,000 car recently and it was the most expensive and newest car, relatively, that I'd ever had. Yeah. <laughs> and it was still yep. 10 years and then, old. <laughs> yeah. And then expecting everybody to kind of go and, and, and spend that amount of money, it's kind of unrealistic and, and not quite right. So yeah, absolutely. What we can offer is something that's, good quality and affordable when you don't spend as much money the car doesn't go as far is is the is the blunt reality of it per charge is what you mean yeah per charge yep and a lot of people don't drive their cars a long distance many people do and for that you have to spend more money or or try some other approaches but for someone who's got a regular commute where they're doing their 50ks a day or 20ks a day then it's like a remarkably efficient and affordable swap out for people. I guess for us in Castlemaine, for example, it's about 120 k's to the city, but that's just this side of the city. And my family, for example, is on the other side of the city. So for me to get to them and back would take more than one charge in most vehicles. So there's some pretty awesome what they call fast charges. So they will give you about oh, 250 kilometres of driving for an hour of charging. As long as your car has the capacity for that that you purchase. Most of them do. You'd have to struggle to find one that doesn't do something like that. The, the model is often those fast charges are next to a cafe or something like that or a dodgy hot dog stall at a service station. You pull up, have a, have a cuppa charge up and you've got in half an hour you've got 150 k's of driving or something in the in the battery and away you go and the other one also is when you're visiting your friends is it just opportunistically you can just plug them into a powerpoint so it doesn't need to be fancy infrastructure and a powerpoint helps and especially if you're staying somewhere overnight you get a lot of lot of driving just from an opportunistic charge sure you guys mentioned in the talk how much petrol Hepburn spends in a year. Oh, yeah. It'd be interesting to understand what the difference is in terms of carbon if we did take a shire like Hepburn or the Mount Alexander Shire where I'm in. If we if we did transition most people to electric cars, what a difference that would make to the carbon footprint. So Hepburn Shire's done this awesome project called ZNet where they're looking at all of the energy and emissions from across the Shire and working out a, a plan on how to reduce the emissions. Now, interestingly, around 64% of all the energy used in Hepburn by residents and businesses is transport fuel, petrol and diesel. And that's a, a very big number, which is around $57 million a year on petrol and diesel. Wow. Just in Hepburnshire? Just in Hepburnshire. It's around $3,000 a resident. And that's money that's being spent on, well, the money effectively leaves the Shire, effectively leaves Australia. So it's a, a fossil fuel that's burnt and the money sent overseas, which seems rather ordinary um, situation. If all of that equivalent energy to do the same amount of transport services was done by electric vehicles, it would cost around $27 million a year. So half-ish. Half, yep. Mm. So half that to run it in money and zero tailpipe emissions. 
And you said that was about 64% of their emissions, something like that. Yep, 64% of energy use. I'm not exactly sure on the proportion of emissions. Now, the other fun fact, since we're rolling out the fun facts, is if you had to generate the energy in Shire to power all of, all of the transport needs. If everything was electric vehicles. If everything was electric, all the petrol and diesel, that's trucks, buses and cars, you're looking at around $66 million to build that infrastructure. So you can build the infrastructure to run your vehicles in perpetuity for the same as your one-year fuel bill that you're paying in, in petrol and diesel. That's an amazing thing, isn't it? Probably not as simple an equation as that. So it doesn't account for electricity retailers and it doesn't account for transmission and a, a few other odds and sods like that. But it's just kind of, there is an incredible opportunity sitting here, which is, it's it's like with... Uh, solar PV, there's a few things where there's what's better for the environment can actually match through to what's better for society and what can save costs. And rarely, rarely do they all always align. And I think here with electric vehicles, it's we're rapidly approaching the crossover point where all of those benefits can be accrued, which is, which is once again, exciting times. Yeah, definitely. And then I guess if we've got land or, you know, like solar farms and wind farms across our state, we can be self-supplying in that. And then we don't have to rely on international markets for any of our transport or energy needs. Mm, mm. And, yeah, and combining that with you've got a lot of localised generation and the storage that are in vehicles as well, you can start having a yeah, much more decentralised energy network all all around the country, which is a good thing. It's a great thing. Yeah. And tell me one last thing. In terms of someone who maybe wants to travel around Australia or or even up to Brisbane, for example, I hear that there's a lot of plans in the works for uh, a lot of these recharge stations to be strategically placed right up and down the coast of the east coast of Australia. What do you know about those plans and how far along are they in terms of helping people really go those big distances? Oh, whenever someone's wanting to go a big distance or even a short distance, I recommend they look at a website or an app called PlugShare. And it shows all the charging stations or most of the charging stations around the country. And it's it's like a wiki. It's a user-generated data. People check in to show they've been there, the charges are working and so on. So you can go there and and, and take a look. On the main highways, it's already covered. You can get to Sydney, Brisbane. I think there's a, a decent charging network all the way up to Cairns on the... West Coast, you can drive across the Nullarbor if you're terribly keen, but I think you're looking at you need a pretty much a longer range car and a fair bit of time because the charges across there aren't that fast. You know, that's something which most people aren't actually doing. But uh, we had a, a couple who bought a car from us in Hobart just before the pandemic started, and they had one of their parents had died in Sydney, and so they had to 
get up there. They couldn't fly, so they drove their car with 150 kilometres range to Sydney. And they just bounced on the charges, took them a while, but, yeah, they got there no problems. So, yeah, that infrastructure, there's a lot of infrastructures there. There's another 16 fast charges going in place in Victoria at the moment, so there's a government program to do that. And it often comes down to just looking at that PlugShare app to, to plan your journey and just try and get your get the lay of the land. Yeah, I've got this secret idea. Ever since I started this podcast, I've wanted to take it on the road and travel around Australia in an electric car. <laughs> so I'm just like, I'm constantly quietly researching that and figuring out how to do it. Get the PlugShare app. <laughs> yeah, even without a vehicle, um, I'll just get it and have a play with it. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's, you, can just, you can just look on the, on the website. But it's got, basically, they've got green place markers, which are slow chargers, and then they've got orange ones, which are fast chargers. And for planning a long trip, you're looking at the the orange charges. Like, and it, you know, there's some there are some big holes in it as well. So you can go currently, you can go Ballarat, and then the next one's in Horsham. So you don't have a huge amount of choice, but you could figure out other ways as well. Yeah, yeah, you can you can definitely figure out other ways. Another thing, if you if you're willing to be a guinea pig and you're interested in something, is getting you get a, a electric van, set it up as a camp van put some solar panels on the roof that's what i've wanted to do yeah okay i'm like surely they're self-charging if you just have enough solar panels and you're happy to camp out for a day or two yeah so you probably i think we worked out you'd get about 40 kilometers of driving from a a day from a roof full of solar panels just on average but you could still charge it when when you've got access to charges but when you're out bush you can actually just sit go 40ks charge Go 40Ks. Yeah, yeah, or you kind of just go like that camping thing. I so you just drive, you drive wherever. Sit there for half a week and charge and then go. Yeah, what are you doing, eating beans and riding bogs? Yeah. <laughs> I really want to do that so badly. <laughs> that would be so great. <sighs> yeah, so that's something I'd love, love to work on, something like that. Yeah, we're doing, we're getting at the moment rather overpriced van to turn into a camper van so it's like a commercial kind of like a transporter and we're going to turn it into a camper van well if you want someone to drive around australia and promote you guys the whole time while i'm driving it around (laughs) i'll be that person (laughs) (laughs) i I think we might put it on the leave it at devonport at the other side of the ferry and and charge and charge people 200 dollars a day oh Um, okay yeah sure (laughs) What do you mean you won't just give it to me? <laughs> yep. Yeah, yeah, that's a fair call. It's probably call. going to be all like something. Of, you know, I think it might be good to get some promotional. Yep. Yeah, so it's, it's interesting. There's companies in New Zealand which are doing 100K range camper van, electric camper van hires, and it's working. Yeah. Some people want to do have all the convenience and then – we're finding a lot of people who are willing to accept limits, which is a thing that we haven't been used to. But getting to that point of, no, this is the thing I've got. This is my limit to what I can achieve in this amount of time and living to that. And so that might be that when they do a longer trip that it takes longer because they didn't want to spend an extra $30,000 on a, on a vehicle. 
or just go and have holidays a bit closer. Probably works a bit easier in Tasmania where everybody lives very far apart. When everything is closer. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But I, I think it's a thing we're going to have to get more used to in, in a carbon-constrained world as well, is that we can't have everything on tap all the time. Yeah. All right. Is there anything else you wanted to say? Getting an electric car isn't the only solution for people. We just all need to do absolutely everything we can to change carbon emissions. So if you can carpool, if you can drive less a day, get green power, plant a thousand trees, whatever it is, we we all need to do all of those things ASAP. So that was Anton Vikstrom from The Good Car Company. I hope you've enjoyed our chat. If you're interested in finding out more about these guys, I have a link in the episode description at saltgrasspodcast.com. I also have links to the PlugShare app he was referring to and some other EV-related bits and pieces, including some stats from the Australian Bureau of Statistics about our petrol consumption. The transition to EVs can't come soon enough in terms of our society needing to reduce our carbon footprint and wean ourselves from fossil fuels. If these guys can help make more people go electric, then I'm all for it. My name's Ali Hanley and I've been your host today. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram and please subscribe to our email list to get reminders and updates about the show. You can go to saltgrasspodcast.com to sign up to the email list. The program was made possible with support from the Community Broadcasting Foundation. You can find out more at cbf.org.au. And this program was produced in partnership with the Mount Alexander Sustainability Group, MASG, and Main FM. If you'd like to respond to something discussed in the program, we would really love to hear from you. So please email us at saltgrasspodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Talk to you again soon. Salt. 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 Yeah. Salt. Salt. Salt of the earth people, grassroots change, salt grass. Listen to all episodes of Turning the Goldfields Green on saltgrass.podbean.com.